Hey, this is Andy. And Randy. And we're here on AT Corner. Being an athletic trainer comes with ups and downs, and we're here to showcase it all. Join us as we share our world in sports medicine. Welcome back to another episode of AT Corner. We are continuing our surgical series by examining the ankle. Which I think is actually pretty fascinating because no one ever talks about the ankle reconstruction. We are always talking about ACL, knee. Yeah, Achilles. Achilles, UCL. Which I bet when we started talking ankle, I'm sure we had some people thinking Achilles, but not yet. We are going lateral ankle reconstruction. And who better to do it with than our first female physician on the podcast? You're right. I never, I didn't think of that. You're right. This is. Which I would have said would be perfect timing for Women's History Month, but that is currently at the time of this recording, not yes. at the time of the airing. So it still works, though. <laughs> it still works. Yes. So who do we have? Today we are introducing Dr. Nori. Dr. Nori completed her undergraduate degree at UC San Diego in biomedical engineering. She completed her medical school at Georgetown University School of Medicine, a residency at Cedar sinai Orthopedic Surgery, and then her fellowship at Union Memorial Foot and Ankle. Currently, she is the assistant professor at UCI Orthopedic Surgery Foot and Ankle. We had a great conversation with her, especially because she was saying she sees about one to two of these a week. That's crazy because, like, man, I feel like I've, like like I said in the interview, I've had one person who's had a lateral ankle reconstruction, and she was incoming uh, for us. So, like, we weren't, like, a part of it. Like, she already got it completed. And so that's I, crazy. I think that I have one. I I know I know of two, but yeah. the other one wasn't my athlete. So yeah, that's crazy. So it, it's just in our population, I feel like it just isn't as common, which is why I yeah. think that this is so important. I was just about to say that's why I feel like this was such a valuable interview because I felt like I learned a lot through this. That maybe like when we were going through school, we may have talked about it like briefly, but it's not one of those like. You know, there's other surgeries that are a little more common that like, hey, we have to touch on this a little bit more. So it was really nice to, you know, have this interview and be able to learn just the knowledge that she has. And there's a lot of knowledge there. Yeah, I agree. So why don't we get started? Lateral ankle reconstruction seems like it's not really talked about very often. And I know clinically for me, I've only had one athlete who has come in with it. So I feel like it kind of gets forgotten about. So when would you say it's advised that a patient should be considering a lateral ankle reconstruction? Yeah, great question. And uh, great actually intro. It's, it's interesting. Ankle sprains are one of the most common, if not the most common musculoskeletal injuries. Um, and the most fascinating part is that I tell patients, you know, 80, 90% do great. They come in, they have a ton of pain, they're swollen, but I tell them, you know what, early functional rehab, you get things going early, um, 80, 90% do well. Um, it's those 10, 20% that that just have that either that aching pain or they're like, I just don't trust my ankle. It keeps giving out on me. Um, so it's a big cohort of people, but only a small percent of that cohort who, who end up needing surgery. Um, in general, I tell people if I'm seeing them pretty pretty recently after a sprain that I wait until the three month mark. So um, no role for early imaging. So I don't ever do MRIs early because it shows the ligaments are torn or they're sprayed and people freak out. They're like, oh my gosh, it's torn. I have to get it repaired, right? I'm like, well, no. Again, 89% of the time, things scar they heal in the right position. It's just about getting it to heal in that correct position. Um, so I tell them three months. So three months from the time of injury, if you're having any residual pain, any sense of instability, that's when I want you to come back and talk to you. We'll get that MRI. We'll talk about surgery. 
Is there something clinically that, that us athletic trainers can look for kind of at that three month mark? Yeah. So really it's, it's both objective and subjective, um, is the tough part. So objectively, um, assessing for that instability or any sort of residual functional deficits, strength deficits. Um, and then subjectively, I think this is the harder part where sometimes that objective test is hard. You know, you, you stress their ankle, you do that anterior drawer test where you're, you're testing them at about 20 degrees of plantar flexion. You're doing the anterior translation. Like, I don't know, like it feels a little loose compared to the other side, but the patient's telling you like, you know what? I just, I really don't trust my ankle. I, I walk on regular ground. I walk on uneven ground. It just keeps giving out. And you're like, I don't know. It doesn't feel that unstable, but if they're telling you it feels unstable, then there's, there's a big subjective component too. Um, oftentimes I'll find it's those subtle ones. I take them, I put them under anesthesia and like, holy smokes. Yeah. Their ankles just like loosey goosey. Cause uh, oftentimes they guard. It's uncomfortable. No one likes their ankle being tugged on. It's not comfortable for anyone, um, whether or not you have ankle instability. And so that guarding component, so that subjective component actually, it plays a pretty big role. Um, and then as well as just tenderness, tenderness, residual tenderness, whether it's over the lateral ankle ligaments or over the perineal tendons. So over the lateral, um, ankle and hind foot structures, I like how you touch on the subjective part because I feel like so many times we'll hear more often about an unstable knee mm-hmm. than an unstable ankle. Yeah. Um, and again, it, it's a, it's a combination of both. So if someone comes there, the ankle just feels rocks all, they're not guarding, then it's like, okay, something, some, I'm missing something or something else must be going on. But um, a lot of times it is subtle, um, especially because you know, patients don't want me talking about their ankles. So it's, it's, it's not like everyone, you, you, you do the ankle stability test and like, oh yeah, it's so loose. Um, so a lot of times it is just listening to them and their subjective, subjective issues. And, um, I think the primary thing is if by three months, they're not really on their way to almost back to baseline, then that's a red flag. Okay. Perfect. For the patient that's like, all right, you know, it's time, you know, surgery is going to be the right route. What are some graft types to consider going into that surgery? Yeah. So actually I, th- I thought this was an interesting question because it's a perfectly, uh, perfectly STEM question for a majority of, of sports, um, surgeries you do, but interestingly, actually ankle instability surgery, very rarely regrafting. Um, so historically, okay. um, there were various repair types. Um, so in general, there's two types of repairs. There's anatomic and non-anatomic repairs for ankle instability. Um, pretty much I'd say over 95% of the time, everyone's doing an anatomic repair. It's rare to be doing a non-anatomic repair. And what I mean by that is the non-anatomic repairs are what historically people will do. So that would be taking part of the perineus brevis actually, so part of the, the perineal tendons and rounding it through the fibula, the calcaneus, through various bone tunnels, but essentially using their own tendon. Um, rarely, again, revision surgery, if someone has um, other underlying factors, um, will allograft be used. But otherwise, grand, grand majority of the time running anatomic repair is where we're, um, we're using the body's own autograft, your own tissues, where essentially we're anatomically shortening and reinserting those lateral ankle ligaments. And then we're reinforcing them with inferior extensor retinacum. So it's called a brostrum with a Gould modification is the fancy way, uh, fancy <laughs> eponym for it. So the, the Gould modification is essentially that that inferior extensor retinaculum um, augmentation with the periosteum or the, the thick uh, outer layer of the bone. Um, and we use there's any sort of combination of things. Majority of people use suture anchors, which are little, uh, I call them, they look like little plastic Home Depot screws that you put into, put into the bone. And then they have thick sutures coming out, uh, to help reinforce that, the ligament. Um, there's a lot of technical details. There's, uh, a, 
relatively newer edition called something called a uh, suture tape augmentation or essentially a thick suture material that you can use to um, to augment your repair. It's not in, in lieu of your anatomic repair, but it can help to supplement to kind of like a counter check um, that some people like using or I'll use uh, for revisions or higher level athletes. Um, but in general, we're doing anatomic repairs. Awesome. That's a really good distinguish. Yeah. Um, so if someone, if we have someone who is going to go into that surgery, a lot of times us athletic trainers are going to be involved during that pre-op phase. Um, so during that, like kind of before surgery, what can we do and what are some of the most important aspects that we should be focusing on before they go see you? Yeah. So I think, uh, really, really, really critical is just getting people moving early. And I think there's tons of data, both in the physical therapy literature and our literature, the orthopedic literature, um, that really people have to get early functional rehab. Um, and I tell people, it's not going to be comfortable. You're not going to want to do it. Um, but it really does benefit, especially early, um, getting early dorsiflexion back. So really early uh, Achilles and gastroc stretching and strengthening. Again, people are going to be swollen. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to hurt. Um, but it does make a difference um, in doing that early, early range of motion, early strengthening, um, early proprioceptive training, I think are really critical to, to getting you in that 80, 90% who are going to be just fine um, and not putting you in that 10, 20% cohort who needs surgery. I know that sometimes in rehab, we're doing like joint mobilizations. Is that something that would be indicated even for someone who is, um, needing surgery and they do have that sense of instability or is that something that we could do to assist like getting back that dorsiflexion? Yeah. Joint joint mobilization being kind of like range of motion, early range of motion. Um, yeah. And like, like manual technique to kind of like, like posterior mob the fibula or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, early passive and active range of motion, I will say, um, post, post injury, there's really no no limitations range of motion. Um, theoretically, uh, so post-op, so after surgery, um, I limit people in terms of how much they can plantar flex and invert for, for the first six weeks. So uh, um, my general guidelines are no plantar flexion past 20, no inversion past 10 um, to protect the, the repair post-op for mm-hmm. the first six weeks. Theoretically, if we're treating our surgeries like we're rehabbing our acute injuries, maybe we should be doing that same restriction for the first six weeks after injury as well to protect those ligaments. But um, I don't think there's really definitive data either way. But theoretically, if you were to say, should I limit them in something, it'd be extreme to plantar flexion inversion. Um, but as far as I know, there's no detriment to, to no restrictions on range of motion after the injury. Awesome. For that uh, pre-op phase, like you were talking about, depending on the kind of surgery technique that they're going for, is there any other like additional focus that um, the AT should focus on? Like if you're using the peroneus brevis tendon, like are we like, okay, let's focus on those peroneals a little more, get them a little bit stronger or anything like that? Yeah, for sure. I think um, there's conflicting data on on the role of the peroneal. So intuitively, one thinks, you know, it's a lateral lateral structure is uh, the primary lateral uh, tendons or muscles that are that are helping with that that inversion eversion ratio. So you would think that, yeah, peroneal strengthening for sure um, should help. But again, there's no real data saying that it really does make a difference, which is the the odd part. Um, <laughs> but I think that, yeah, peroneal strengthening um, overall just proprioception. Um, and working on, um, you know, assessment of postural stability is pretty critical. Don't you just love it when the data just doesn't back what you would think? <laughs> like, oh, that would exactly. make sense. 
<laughs> and it's like, eh, it doesn't make a difference. You're like, what? <laughs> it's making sense. That's uh, that's medicine for you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's no answer to anything. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so as we know, rehab and surgery is not all black and white, but kind of going back to like a timeline, you were saying like three months you um, after someone is um, has an ankle sprain and they're not really um, progressing, and then that you decide that they need um, that they do need surgery, and then um, they end up getting surgery. Kind of back to that timeline. How often would you have uh, your patients follow up with a physician or their surgeon? Um, after that surgery? Yeah, great question. So I typically see my patients uh, at the two-week mark. So two-week mark, if I use non-dissolvable sutures for a wound check, um, and then I progress them from, I typically splint them for those first two weeks just to protect the wound, protect the soft tissues. And at the two-week mark, I put them in a boot, uh, just a tall cam boot in neutral. Um, And then I tell them at the three-week mark, they can start putting some weight on it. Realistically, most people don't start walking a ton until the four-week mark, even though I tell them it's okay to, um, because they're worried, they're nervous, um, it hurts. um, But I tell them it's okay. It's totally safe to do the three-week mark. Um, And then I see them back at the six-week mark. Um, I give them the physical therapy prescription at the two-week mark. And I tell them, realistically, it takes a week or two with insurance authorization, with all the boxes you have to check for you to really get started therapy with anticipation that you can start therapy at the three, four week mark as early as the three week mark. Um, I want them to start their own early range of motion at the two week mark. So two weeks into boot, early range of motion, start walking and start therapy at three weeks, ideally. And then I see them back at six weeks. Um, at that point, I take them out of the boot into um, ASO or ankle stabilizing orthotic um, that I have them use for the first 12 weeks after surgery with walking, just any daily activities, and then up to four months with any um, high impact cutting or sports. Um, And then I see him back at that 12 week mark um, to check back in. I don't typically routinely do um, imaging post-op for these unless I did some other bony work. Um, It's really just clinical checks to see Again, that subjective, objective, clinically, objectively, does your ankle still feel stable, which it should. Um, That was the goal of the surgery. Um, Then subjectively, how are you feeling? Is your pain better? Is your sensation of stability better? Are you progressing and getting better and better at each visit? Um, And then I do generally, most people, honestly, discharge people at 12 weeks from clinic just because these patients do so well. Um, They're like, why do you need to come see me? Um, But I I typically still see them at the three, six, uh, three months, six months, and then one year mark. Oh, awesome. So within those first two weeks, um, you said we're not, you're really mostly just focusing on that immobilization and, and you don't really start range of motion until after the two weeks. Exactly. So the first two weeks in a splint, uh, protect the soft tissues, protect the swelling, protect the wound, um, until the sutures come out. Perfect. So during that follow-up or going through that post-op phase, just in general, what are some complications that the the AT should kind of keep in mind as they're going through the rehab process that's, that are kind of unique to a lateral ankle reconstruction. Yeah. So I think honestly, the main thing is just those, those restrictions for the first six weeks um, of no, no extremes of plantar flexion and inversion. Um, In terms of the degrees, honestly, there's no, no hard set date on the 20 degrees versus 10 degrees versus some people say no inversion past neutral. It's really just the, um, the idea that the extremes of plantar flexion inversion are going to put the most tension on the repair. So, um, again, just protecting that repair for the first six weeks. Um, honestly, that's the main thing. I think apart from that, really, we know that again, early range of motion, early strengthening, early everything in general for ankle instability does better. 
Do you find that this has a high level of success? Yeah, so I tell patients, um, over 90%, I tell patients, if anyone tells you any surgery is going to get you 100% success, they're absolutely lying. Um, <laughs> there's no surgery that we can do in any field that's 100%. So over 90%, the, the 10% I tell them, it's the zebras, it's the, you know, it's mm-hmm. the infections, wound complications, something happened with anesthesia, you know, some, anything can happen with any surgery. It's not the 10%, uh, a 10% failure rate necessarily, it's just kind of the 10% risk of, of any surgery. But patients in general, mm-hmm. over 90% do really well. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, especially when you're talking about it's such a, a small group of like the just lateral ankle sprain in general to have like a small group that's having complications to have such a success rate on surgery. That's perfect. Yeah, these patients in general, I mean, they do great. Um, it, it's it's still a tough, I think a very tough um, cohort to really, to really know though. You know, so many people get ankle sprains. We don't really know how do we know which patients are going to continue to develop that instability? So these are all the questions that people ask me. It's like, okay, so who are these 10, 20%? I'm like, really no one. So we don't know what the risk factors of people that don't necessarily get back to hundred percent by those three months. Um, and honestly, there's also a lot of people that have instability that come in for other stuff and you feel their ankle and you're like, whoa, you're loose. Um, like, does this bother you? Do you notice this? So like, no, not at all. I didn't notice it until you told me. Um, so I think that's even the more fascinating part is like there's so many people with loose ankles walking around. And you're like, well, why, do, why don't they have limitations? Why don't they notice it? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an interesting dichotomy of, of symptoms and presentations that, um, you know, long term, we know that people with ankle instability, it's not just the subjective issues or the functional issues that they aren't able to get back to things or that they have an unstable ankle. It's that long term, we know that this is a risk factor for them developing arthritis. Um mm-hmm. So, you know, it is important beyond just their limitations to correct this from a kind of biomechanical standpoint. So it's fascinating that there are people who have this issue, but don't have limitations from it. And those are the people where you're like, well, what do I do with you? Because I know that technically this, you know, this may and very well will cause issues down the line, but I'm hard pressed to sell you on surgery if you're not having symptoms from it. Um, So it's definitely a fascinating, fascinating area. Oh, for sure. Um, I actually was about to bring up that question wondering if you see more like instability from those in sports or those just in daily life or those who have more chronic ankle sprains or if it was just like a everyone a little bit of all of the above honestly um so probably the most common is the people with the recurrent ankle sprains and those are also probably the easiest to diagnose like they're those are the ones that you test them you're like you're loose like it's obvious (laughs) um so it's like subjective and objective just line up perfectly um but it's a combination of all the above yeah that makes sense yeah for sure um so going through that process or at least you know going into the surgery you know athletic trainers are sometimes in a unique position where you know we get to help with the education of the patients because we've had plenty of student athletes go to the doctor and you ask them hey how'd it go and they're like uh i don't know (laughs) so luckily you know we're we get that, you know, opportunity. What are some things you wish ATs would ask regarding the surgery? Um, I think honestly, just the post-op protocol. And I, I mm-hmm. tend to try to be pretty specific. And when I give a physical therapy prescription, like I'll put in the comments, the description, like I'll, I'll literally put my post-op protocol, I'll say like zero to two weeks is what I do two to six weeks. Um, so I think it's honestly, it's, it's beyond just you guys asking. It's, it's two way street. It's us giving you the information that you need and you giving us information that we need. Um, so keeping those lines of communication open and, and being specific if we have specific, um, limitations of things we don't want people to do or vice versa. If we are, there are things that we do want them to do, like 
do we want them to get back to range motion strengthening earlier? Do we want them to wait for whatever reason? Um, I think you just understand the limitations both ways. Are there any different surgical techniques that would change the outcome or the rehab or, or something post-op? Yeah. So going back to kind of the more, uh, detailed aspect of that, that new technique, new, newer, I wouldn't say it's necessarily new, but, um, newer than the last decade or so of that thick suture, suture tape augmentation. Um, there's more and more data that you can rehab those people earlier. You can weight bear them earlier. You can rehab them earlier. Um, I still in general do it primarily for, um, either revisions, higher level athletes, or if interoperatively, if I just find their tissues just not great, I feel like I need to, to augment them. Um, there are people that do it 100% on everyone. Um, there's risks and benefits to both. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's there, there's risks if you have to drill pretty big bone tunnels to get that suture tape in. So there's there's risk to that. Um, in addition to the fact that you're you are doing something additional that maybe most people don't necessarily need because again, over 90% of people still do great. So why do, why do something extra if it's not hundred percent necessary, but um, mm-hmm. there is more and more data that if you do reinforce it, which also makes sense, you're using their own native tissue, you're augmenting with something else. So theoretically um, that they should be able to, to get back to everything earlier. So that's the, that's the only situation where, where I would change conversely, if it's a, revision or for whatever reason, I'm worried about their tissue quality or their pair or anything, then, um, I would want them to go slower, but that's, that's pretty rare. Makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So we, let's say we've gone through the surgery, we've gone through all the post-op check-ins, um, we've gone through rehab. Um, what would you look for when you're making a return to play decision for an athlete? Yeah, great question. Um, so in general, uh, I'm letting people get back to running in a straight line around the 10 week mark. And then by 12 weeks, um, it's okay for them to get back to sports. Usually by the 12 week, between 12 and 16 weeks or between three to four months is when people get back to sports and in the higher impact contact sports, cutting sports. Um, but around three months, I'm okay with them doing so. Um, but it's also for me, a conversation with you guys, you know, how are they progressing? Cause these are just numbers on paper. This isn't mm-hmm. going to be the same thing for everyone. You know, just cause I tell mm-hmm. you six weeks, you can do something is not, you're not going to do it necessarily. Um, so it's working with you guys. I tell them, you know, it's a close relationship with your personal, um, physical therapist because they're the one seeing you, you know, every week, a couple of times a week, I'm the one that's seeing you every two, two weeks, then four, six weeks, then 12 weeks, you know, I'm not seeing you as often. So it's working with them to figure out how are you progressing? How do they feel about your progression? How do you feel about how you're progressing? Um, not necessarily pushing you just because we're saying you can get back to running doesn't mean you have to, if you don't feel comfortable, then keep getting stronger, keep working on anything that any deficits that you guys see. So, um, a lot of it, honestly, I leave up to you guys to, to dictate, you know, these are my okay to do it at this point, but, mm-hmm. um, everyone will be variable. Mm-hmm. When they're transitioning from the boot and, you know, progressing through that rehab, do they, should they be going with a brace for some stability in their daily life or once they're out of the boot, Hey, you're kind of like, Hey, get back to your just kind of normal walking without any support. Yeah. So I keep, I give them the, the, the brace, um, the AS or the ankylizing ankle stabilizing mm-hmm. orthotic. Um, I give that to them at the six week mark. Okay. So zero to two weeks in a splint, two to six weeks in a boot, um, walking on it, starting at three weeks, but in the boot until six. Um, and with that, telling them take off the boot several times a day, start doing that range of motion with those, um, extreme limitations, uh, of plantar flexion inversion, um, obviously taking off for therapy, but then at the six week mark, get rid of the boot, get into the, the ankle brace, um, keep using the ankle brace with 
just any any daily activities until 12 weeks. You don't have to sleep in at any time. You're, you're standing, walking around, use the brace for um, for more stability support. Um, and then until, until the four-month mark or until 16 weeks with any any sports or high-impact running. Um, I think there's good data on using external support um, in ankle instability with or without surgery. Mm-hmm. Um there's data both ways. And I think honestly, it's one, it, it definitely is a physical, um, you know, it does give more support, support and stability, but I think honestly for post-op, it also, for a lot of people, it just kind of mentally makes them feel better being like, okay, I have something backing me up, even though, I mean, we're doing the surgery to stabilize the ankle. So theoretically yeah. they shouldn't need any sort of support, but I think it just makes people feel more comfortable rather than being like, all right, ditch the boot, get it to regular shoes. I think people feel a little uncomfortable. That's like, okay, I'm ditching the boot. I'm getting to regular shoes, but I have something still. So <laughs> I think it's a little bit, a little bit of mental and physical reassurance. Oh, that's perfect. You ready to do the action item? Yes. So, um, Sandra likes hard hitting, uh, usable usable info quick which, stuff which has been all of this yep uh, all of it absolutely <laughs> yeah what advice would you give to someone rehabbing a lateral ankle reconstruction for the first time um i would say again listen to the objective and subjective guidelines so you know listen to those six week 12 week 14 16 week markers but also listen to your patients saying you know what they feel comfortable with if they feel like they're progressing really well Sometimes you have to hold it back and say, hey, you still have to like wait until this amount of time to do this just to just to be sure your body's healing properly or protecting repair. Um, but if they feel not up to doing it, it's also okay. But letting them know it is okay. So it's, uh, I think for you guys too, it's a lot of, it's about mental and physical, you know, assessing their physical capabilities and also assessing mentally where they're at. What do they feel comfortable doing? What are they okay doing despite um whatever you tell them people will sometimes not want to do it or will want to do it. So, um, I think, I think the combination of those two. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I love that. We always stress on our podcast that you always have to listen to, um, the patient and Mm -hmm. really listen to, um, the individualized treatment of whatever you're dealing with. Because like you said before, you can't always just rely on the numbers. You can't always rely on the data because the data is not a hundred percent. So if let's say if it's 60%, well, th- what about the other 40%? Yeah. Even if it's 80%, what about the other 20%? Yeah. You might get that other 20% sure. sometime within your practice. For sure. I guess to flip the question on you guys, anything that you would like to see more coming from um, the surgeons in terms of whether it's more detailed post-op protocol or whether um, anything, anything that we need to be better at communicating with you guys? Ooh, Ooh that was a good follow-up. Um, I would say for me, yeah, just like what the surgeon prefers, like their protocol to be, um, the surgeons we've worked with, you know, kind of like you said, you know, they're always very clear. They're always, their resources for like the protocol they like are usually really readily available. Um, but yeah, I'd say just kind of like that detail, like, Hey, here's how I like it. You know, here's kind of what I'm looking at. Here's kind of why. And, you know, I think, I think that would be great for me. I find that when I'm working post-op, it's easier for me to um, have a little bit more creative liberty with my rehab if I know mm-hmm. what I need to avoid. Yeah. Because you have so much more opportunity with what you can do. So if you if you tell me all the things I can do, like that helps. But really, I need to know if I'm if I'm creating a sports specific exercise that's maybe not listed specifically in the in the protocol. I need to know what. Mm-hmm. 
I can do to not stress that um, uh, surgical site or so for me, I prefer to know a little bit more of like, okay, well, we did a little bit more on the lateral side on the peroneus brevis or, uh, you know, whatever specifics that, um, oh, you know, we have a surgical site right here or something that maybe don't go more than 10% of that inversion. Okay. I'm not going to do that in my rehab. Cool. That's what Yeah. hundred percent. Great. That was a good follow-up. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to add? Anything you feel like um, we didn't touch on? No, honestly, I think you guys touched on all the all the main stuff. Again, this is a huge topic. Um, yeah. so right, right. Way more that we go into depth about all everything we talked about. Um, and if you guys want to do a follow-up at some point, that's totally fine with me too. It's just, it's such a huge topic. There's so much to talk about, but I didn't, um, I think for, to start, this was great. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, with lateral ankle construction reconstructions, you don't see, we don't see that that many. Yeah, like I said, I only had one and it wasn't really my, I, like she was incoming, she was an incoming student athlete that had the surgery maybe about a year ago. So I really had like okay. the end of everything. So I think really- I have one currently that is about to go into surgery, Ooh. but other than that, I don't know that I've ever... I, I know someone who's had it that wasn't my patient, but just like a oh, okay. family friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think it's the the cohort of people? That's that's interesting because it's, again, it's such a common, I mean, I do at least one to two of these a week. So this is like super read about right. it. Right. Um, and I'm not like particularly aggressive about it. It's just like, it's just, it is what it is based on the numbers. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think it's the cohort of people you're seeing that or is it a testament to your rehab that they you see them after the ankle sprain and they do you guys rehab them so well they they don't need um, they just all fall into that eighty nine percent or I guess why do you think why do you think you see it so uncommonly? That's a good question. I I I mean we do get people with chronic recurrent ankle sprains, like yeah, somewhat frequently I would say. Yeah, I think we definitely get some people that would probably fall under the the umbrella term of chronic ankle instability. Um, okay. I mean, how many younger, I mean, I feel like we work with what, like 18, 17 to 22 years yeah, old. Yeah. Around there. Yeah. 24 at the oldest. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how, That's her. Okay. what your age group is typically. If you normally, I not to be a little older. So usually thirties to forties, thirties okay. to early forties. Um, so that, the, that's fair. Yeah. The younger patients also either it's their first first high grade spray and then or they just they rehab a lot better because they're younger um or they come back when they're older yeah. with their recurrent sprains yeah that's fair mm-hmm. uh, well, and that i was kind of thinking that too is as far as like the attitudes at least in an athletic population like the attitudes of ankle sprains i mean i feel like it's gotten better over the years but you know there's still some people that are just like oh it's just an ankle sprain you know a couple days i'll be all right sure. and get yeah. go get back out there for sure. Yeah. Like you know, really I need therapy for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's some people, especially those ones <laughs> yeah. that are like, they feel like it's kind of minor, like, Oh, I kind of tweaked it. And it's like, well, we still should do things for that. So the one yeah. that I have right now, she is a women's basketball player and she actually, I didn't do the eval. I don't work with women's basketball really, but my co-head um, was doing a, she didn't answer your drawer and I think she did Taylor tilt inversion and that inversion. Oh my goodness. She was like, I've, she felt like the suction kind of like gave out 
And she was like, I've never felt an unstable ankle. That was <laughs> like quick trip to the dock right now. I'm going to send the referral right away because she was like, it was unsettling this, the just the instability. And she's like, you need to feel this. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen her since, but I was like, man, I do need to feel it. Yeah. <laughs> Those of us from a provider standpoint, it's, it's, it's kind of satisfying. hundred <laughs> percent. No question. Like, yeah, exactly. Like you said, like, you're almost like, holy smokes, I can almost dislocate your ankle. Like it's that loose. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, and she had a normal mechanism. I think she's had ankle sprains before, but it, I don't know what was different about this one that made it so unstable for her. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's some pretty valuable gems that she talked about that we can look into at the subjective and the objective level. Definitely. I know that um, the one patient that I'm talking about that had or is having um, that had a lateral ankle reconstruction, um, you can really tell when an ankle is unstable. I feel like I kind of touched upon it in the episode, but you know, you hear people say like, oh, my knee's unstable, but to have your ankle unstable is just completely out of the realm i think of what people are used to yes and also even athletic trainers you don't usually feel like you you usually feel laxity but to feel like the suction or to feel like the you could dislocate their ankle (laughs) for lack of better explanation i mean theoretically you kind of are i mean that's what instability is um definitely and i think too there's like among some athletes especially like you know, younger athletes that may not have access to an athletic trainer or, you know, have a tough time seeing a healthcare provider to help with orthopedic injuries, right? In sports, there's still just some kind of attitude about ankle sprains that like, oh, it's just an ankle sprain. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll walk it off. I'll be mm-hmm. fine. Oh, I, mm-hmm. let me just tape it up. I'll be good. And, you know, I, I think that there's just some athletes that don't necessarily see how s- significant or serious like an actual ankle sprain can be mm-hmm. so it kind of delays them wanting to be like oh like i should do rehab for this and treatment and you know <laughs> so you know i think that's another kind of reason why like these younger populations maybe we, we don't see that many of them you know um and also too i would shout out to the people you know the healthcare providers that are rehabbing these ankles hey we do a pretty bang up job i'd say yeah i'd say so I mean, that's whole whole point is to get him back to sport, right? Exactly. And safely. And safely and to try and, you know, prevent any further issues that are happening as well. So if you guys are new, we do every other episode as education or stories. This one was an educational interview. We hope you enjoyed. It's part of our surgical yes. series. So if you are looking for more of our surgical series, um, we do have a playlist on YouTube. If you watch on YouTube or you can just scroll through the podcast directory, yep. they should just all be labeled. Um, we also do a... a in addition to our education episodes, we also do story episodes where we take stories from athletic trainers across the world, which is pretty cool to that say. That is fun to say. Um, and we just take stories on different topics. So, for example, um, we did recently, we did some on clinical philosophy. Um, we've done some on injuries that you've had to treat outside of work. Yes. Um, we've done some <laughs> on... Um, just various topics, like whether it be like within a certain sport, outside of a certain sport, in a different setting. Um, you know, so we just take these stories and we really, um, talk about what everyone's experience is with certain topics. So make sure that you head over to our Instagram because that's where we post all of our story prompts, um, at AT Corner Podcast. 
And then um, we have a Facebook group as well that you can join facebook.com slash group slash AT Corner Podcast. Those are all the fun social things. You can get connected with other athletic trainers, um, other listeners of the show. You can post, um, you can comment, do all those fun things that you can't Mm -hmm. really do on the podcast. You just kind of, we want you to join the conversation. And it's hard to join the conversation (laughs) on the podcast, on a podcast. Right, right. For sure. Well, cool. Randy, do you have anything else to add? Nope, that was perfect. Thank you for helping to showcase athletic training behind the tape. Bye.